All right, Dan, welcome back to the show. Good to see you, man. How are you? One of my favorites, buddy. Um, good, man. Good. How you been? Good, man. Really good. Really good. Not as good as you, though, in the sunshine over there. It's raining here, <laughs> as it is usually. No, it's rainy season here. It just, you know, doesn't doesn't rain all the time. It rains, like, uh, partially. So you get, like, half the day. The, the sky is <laughs> completely black for, like, miles, as far as you can see. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, two hours later, there's not a cloud in the sky and it's sunny. It, it's I've never seen the sky move so fast as in Thailand. It's absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> like, I'm from Texas, so when the sky is, like, black, it's like you got two days of rain minimum before yeah. that clears, you know. Um, yeah. But in, in Thailand, it moves so fast. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it is rainy, but we are getting you, – you can get sun throughout the rainy season, which is nice. It's not like, uh, you know, like other parts of the world, I guess, you know, I guess in England where <laughs> it's like when the – when it's bad weather it's just bad weather all the time yeah an average day for you is the whole of british summertime for us that's the problem <laughs> yeah, probably probably um cool man so uh and i see you training i see you i see you boxing doing your your bag work all the time is it we're we gonna see a comeback dude you're gonna you're gonna get back in there I'm working on it, man. I got my release from the UFC the other day, which was nice. So I can my options are open again now. Um, I've had a I've had a few people message me and you know ask me to see if I'm I'm interested in doing this and that. But the, the best the best offer right now looks like boxing. So I'll uh, yeah I might look at doing a boxing match towards the end of the year, um, and then maybe see where MMA is next year. I'd like to have another MMA fight, uh, maybe over on your side of the world though, somewhere a bit warmer. Well, you got, I mean, you, you definitely got good boxing. So it's not like you're one of these guys that just have a wrestling base. You like hooked the shit out of me for like three rounds. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't see your hook. Like no matter how many times you threw it, dude, unbelievable. Um, so yeah, it's good to see it. Good to see an MMA fighter that, that can, that can box, do some boxing, but we'll get into that. Cause that's one of the headlines anyway, uh, talking about the cool. boxing stuff. But first, first and foremost, uh, the, the Font versus Garbrandt fight. Incredible fight. I knew it was going to be an incredible fight. Uh, it, it said a lot, you know, like, first of all, I mean, like, I'm a big fan of Cody. I've always liked Cody. Um, you know, I, I love Cody, and he's been to Thailand. He's been on my show. So is Font. I love Font, too. Um, but it was just a different Cody, you know, and, 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 you know, it could be a different Cody because of where he was before the fight and something that could have happened. It could be lingering COVID. It could be whatever, all these different things, but it could also be Rob Font. And, and, you know, he did land right there in the beginning and, and he had that pressure. So I was going to get your take and get your breakdown of the fight and just your overall, um, just your overall opinion of the fight, because it was a different Cody and, and it was, a, it was, and it was kind of a step up for, for Rob. And I think he, he handled it like a champ. And, uh, I think the sky's the limit for that guy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think, I think Rob looked really good. You know, he was clean. His striking was well managed and well ranged. He, you know, he chose his weapons very well. I also think Cody did make it easier for him, though. You know, his game plan was very strange, considering he's got, uh, you know, a, such a reach disadvantage. What is it, six inches? It was like six inches, yeah. Him. It's crazy. Like, you can't you can't move back and counter-strike with a guy that's got a reach advantage like that. You Absolutely. know, that's, that, like, you know, it's like when we were fighting, I knew you were not only really fast, but you had long arms as well. And, like, if I'd have backed up, you'd have picked me off all day. It, it was one of those yeah. kind of decisions that you kind of thought – why is Cody backing up and not being more aggressive? You know, you yeah. need to get inside his reach and make it uncomfortable for him. I mean, he kept level changing, but I don't think that was really a part of his game plan. More of a reaction to pressure than yeah. anything. Um, so it was it was odd. It was an uncharacteristic performance from Cody. I thought he should have been more aggressive. Um, but then we don't know where his confidence is. You know, he's been he's been rocked and hurt a few times. And maybe a lot of it is down to how the fight starts out. You know, if he gets a good start, 
he you know he, he tends to find his way in but if he has a bad start or a slow start and you know Rob Font's such a guy to get you know once you're behind with him he never lets you get back into the fight right um it was a really impressive performance from him but I'd like to see Cody get back on top I think he you know just needs to regroup perhaps you know re- realize what he brings to the table what he brings to the octagon which is aggression and power and just maybe maybe apply that a bit better instead of trying it like Mike Perry did didn't he you know when he went yeah. down to Jackson Wing and he started to you know trying to be a counter striker it just doesn't suit some guys and i think that might be the case with him i feel like to me I mean, watching the fight as it progressed on, it, it, it seemed like Cody didn't know who he was, if that makes sense. Like like the Cody I saw, the Cody that we've seen in the past, pointing at Dominique Cruz and, and, and being aggressive and, and, and having you know, the last fight, you know, the knockout, um, that, that's a different animal. And, and this fight we saw, like, it was, it was comparable to like a hyena and a, and a lion, where a hyena is an, an intimidating and scary looking animal, right, at all times. But when he's fighting with a lion, He's still scary and intimidating, but he's intimidated and he's looking yeah. vulnerable. Do you know what I'm saying? It looked, yes. He looked more like the hyena and Rob looked more like the lion. And my take on this or, or my, 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 my curiosity is did it start from that first punch? And, and do you think maybe that, that started this whole thing where maybe he kind of got insecure and started thinking uh, a little bit more defensively? Or was it from the very beginning? I don't know. I can't, I can't remember the very, very beginning of the fight. I don't know if Cody came out like that or if maybe that, that first big strike from Rob and that pressure kind of changed him just really fast. And then he kind of, you know, and not taking anything away from him. I'm trying to dog Cody. I mean, in fact, I'm probably giving him an excuse, if anything, uh, if he had something wrong. But uh, hats off to him for taking the punches that he took and the kick that he took. And, and he never quits fighting. And same for Rob. I mean, both of those guys took enormous amounts of power shots. I mean, Cody definitely took a lot. I mean, Co- Cody uh, made me definitely, uh, you know, I know you're in a different position, but it definitely made me, uh, you know, ju- justify my decision in not fighting again. Because I don't want to take any of those punches again where it rocks your head back like that. And you have to wonder how, you know, how it happened and what happened. Yeah. And, you know, and what that does to his confidence when it does happen and how vulnerable yeah. it makes him feel, you know, I, I just my my memory of the very, very opening of the fight was Cody walked out to the center and immediately was like kind of playing a waiting game like he was okay, going to so counter strike, but then started getting backed up and never was never able to break out of that that routine. Um, yeah, I, I do feel very much like it is a psychological thing, though. You know, I do feel like he, uh, like if the fight starts to get away from him, he's a very emotional being. Yeah. And with the Dominic Cruz fight, it started to go so well for him in the beginning. And he just cruised. He, I mean, he cruised. He, he just, you know, he was comfortable all the way through the fight. And, yeah. and he, he, in fact, he was in his element. He was enjoying himself. But then he steps in against Dillashaw twice. And he's just, he's so angry and fired up. Then he goes in, uh, you know, to the Munoz fight coming off two losses and now he feels like he has to win one back, and now the pressure's on him, and he, you know, does the same thing again, gets emotional, gets anxious. I, I, I don't know. I, I think he needs an overall game plan instead of instead of tactics to use within the fight. I think he needs an overall strategy, and I think that's maybe what was missing. Yeah. Like be assertive. You know, when you're when you're a puncher like that, you need to make your opponent feel uncomfortable, like they're going to get knocked out at any moment. You know that's the that's that's why Tyron Woodley does so well back up against the fence because he, right. he shows you this right hand and he he, he lets you remember how yeah. pain, how powerful it is. You know, yeah. it, it's C- Cody should be doing the same thing, but he 
he, he he didn't do anything to remind him of how dangerous Cody is. Like Rob, once Rob had found his way into the fight, he kind of started to have his way. Um, and I would have liked to have seen Cody, even if he did want to counter strike, you know, back up, move away, slip, slip, and then bite, throw a couple of combinations, and then start backing up again. But it, it got to the stage where there was nothing to stop Rob Font moving forwards, and, and you know, he just looked better and better as the fight went on. Yeah, and and you're right about that. When he would back up, it wasn't an intimidating backup. It was a it was like a in fear backup, and, and he was trying. He had good head movement at least, and he dodged a lot of big shots. But it was like he was worried, and he was definitely backing yeah. up in fear. Um, but I will say he definitely still has speed, and and credit to him for that because he was landing shots that were pretty fast. And and I'll say Rob Font has speed as well because for the majority of the punches that landed on Cody, Cody didn't see at all, which is why we saw Cody's head jar back so much every time. So. You know, it's deceitful or deceiving, I guess. Uh, you know, coming from Fom. I mean, obviously, you know, he's got good, good, good stand, uh, stand up and striking and everything. But man, I was impressed with his speed for sure. To to land on yeah. someone, someone like Cody, uh, as fast and and as and as uh, often as he did. I mean, it was something like significant strikes was like 180 to 60 or something. It was like uh, or, or or significant. Uh, yeah, I think significant strikes was 180 to 60. So it was like three times the the amount of Cody so I was like that's inc- that's incredible pressure and, and incredible striking yeah I mean great great conditioning you know shows he's got conditioning over five rounds which is what we want to see as he's moved into the top five now you know we want to see him competitive over five rounds so that's not a question going into a title fight um, and th- th- there's a nice difference between the way they stand as well you see Cody's Cody's always kind of standing with his with his with his center line between his feet which gives him good mobility head movement wise, but it doesn't make it a very assertive position. Whereas if you watch Rob Font, he's very heavy on his lead leg. Yep. He uses that high guard and, and that makes him seem like he's closer than he is. So that was another thing he was using very well. He was, he was appearing to be closer to Cody than he was. And then as Cody's throwing, he's slipping out of the way. Yeah. And that's another way of discouraging him as well. Um, I, I think he, I think he looks very good. You know, I'd just like to see him progress now in this division. I think he's an interesting problem especially given the fact that we know he's got grappling skills as well that he didn't really need uh, yesterday. Yeah, I want to ask you about that too. But before I say I just want to say how, how nice of a guy Fawn is. He's been on the show uh, f- a few months ago and a long way from delivering pizzas. You know, he, he told me that he was delivering pizzas and that's how he discovered MMA. He was he saw guys training in a garage and and that's kind of how it so, – so from delivering pizzas to uh, being a, a top contender in the, in the division now is – is a, is a nice uh, progression for him. And he's such a nice guy, such a humble guy. Um, and then I was going to ask you, it, it wasn't that it was a huge issue in this fight, but I just want to get your opinion in general because of your experience and knowledge. Um, you know, when you see guys, like Cody was taking them down to, to try to neutralize the striking, um, it didn't play as much of a role, like I said, in this fight. But what do you think about takedowns versus damage? Like, like I see a lot of times where guys are getting beat up on the feet, and then they grab a takedown, and it seems like the refs are just so heavy on takedowns, and they give so many points for takedowns. I've seen so many guys get just battered throughout the entire fight, but they've got more takedowns, and then they end up winning the fight for the takedowns. What, what's your take on that if there isn't like significant damage from the, the top game and, and, the, and the takedown? Is it really that important? Well, the thing is, it seems to me like some of the judges, especially in some of the places where the UFC isn't you know, a frequent visitor, they're bringing in judges that are probably still so used to working on the old unified rules, which, you know, the, the, the old unified scoring system was, you know, you could maybe steal around with a takedown right. and control was a big factor. Whereas now the new scoring criteria, it's much more geared towards finishing. 
it's much more geared towards uh, you know towards fight ending um, um, attempts. Like there was a fight lower down on the card last night. Was it Josh Kulabau? Um, fighting that uh, Xin Yan, Xin Ya, the, the the Chinese kid, mm. and and the the Chinese fighter was just grappling with him the majority of the time, but there were big portions where he was controlling, and wow. under the old scoring criteria that may have been scored for him, but it, you know the new scoring criteria, fortunately, now they're starting to tune into the 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 attempts to finish the damage, which really you know if we're talking about fighting, it's where it should be. Yeah, of course. Um, but I, I do feel like some of the judges, maybe they're not practiced enough with the new criteria. They don't quite understand it. Um, but they might be scoring on the old scoring criteria, yeah. um, which I don't think is helpful for some of the guys because it makes it very confusing. You don't know exactly how to win a fight. Yeah. Um, you know, always look to finish. That's the key. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't close enough to make a big difference in this fight, but it definitely had an impact. I mean, when Cody would get a takedown, that would that would you know it would it would play a it would have some kind of significance in the judges' eyes, obviously. Even though Rob Font was winning on the feet and the pressure and all that, so that's just why I wanted to ask you um, and get your opinion on that. And I agree with you 100. percent All right, fellas, you want to help the podcast? Here is your opportunity. You can save 20 percent now and get free shipping on the best below the waist men's grooming products on the market by going to Manscaped. M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Today, use code QUICK. That's my nickname, not how you use the product. And you get 20% off, free shipping. It's a win-win for everyone. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and now they're available in Europe, Canada, and Australia. And yes, I actually use these products. I'm getting more shipped right now. I got the Manscaped bag here. Got the preserver. Got the Reviver, mm-hmm. the Reviver, the Crop Mop, a whole bag of Crop Mops. And they even give you this. So you can actually uh, use Manscaped to manscape your eyebrows and your toes. Huh? It's like the best. It is everything you need to appeal to your lady friend. So don't thank me. Thank yourself for going to manscaped.com, entering code QUICK, and getting your order at 20% off discount and free shipping. Um, and then Jake Paul, obviously, uh, it seems like he's just really, really poking at the MMA guys. I, and he doesn't really, he was, he, I just saw him uh, reply to the, the game. Like, he, he really just doesn't care. Like, he, he's burning bridges right and left. And like, he's, he's going to get caught somewhere. Somebody's not going to play the game that, that, that he's playing. And, and he, especially when you're playing with fighters and guys like the game, dude, I wouldn't talk shit to the game and I wouldn't talk shit about the cartel. That's like two, that's like the two rules for me, like, like gangsters and cartel. I don't fuck around with dude. I, I do not fuck around with. And the game said something like, I'll meet you at Staples center with my boys and we'll see who can fight. And then like Jake Paul said something like love it or hate it, which is one of uh, the game's hit songs. He's like, love it or hate it. You'd get knocked the fuck out. I wouldn't personally say that to the game, but I mean, like, it, it, it is interesting that, that that he's so into this Conor McGregor, like, talk shit about everybody kind of thing. And then he didn't waste any time to come at Cody Garbrandt right after his loss. I mean, just a devastating loss for, for Cody. And and I'm sure you know, but, you know, he said basically was, was ribbing him about being short and what's worse, losing or being short kind of thing. And it's just like... He's really like uh, jabbing at the MMA guys. What's your take on that, just in general? I mean, you're talking about a guy who is one of the you know biggest, I guess, kind of draws in boxing, but he's never fought a guy who even trains in boxing. So it's not like he's he hasn't fought a boxer. He hasn't fought a guy who even trains in boxing yet, and he's like such a big draw and such a big uh, you know newsmaker, I guess, as you as you want to call it. 
it's a weird it's a weird phenomenon it's crazy it kinda, right? you know sometimes these things happen and they they kind of turn a mirror on society and what we're hungry for which is you know sometimes it can be quite surreal it's a bit of a bit like an episode of black mirror i never never know not sure whether you got into that or not <laughs> yeah but it's did. like like pe- like people are more interested in celebrities yeah they're more interested in celebrities fighting you know what's more important the the, the fighting ability or the fame of the person Currently, it's the fame of the person, and yeah. and that's you know, there's, there's some some of the responsibility falls on the MMA guys, you know, to start promoting themselves better and to be more marketable. Because I mean, Jake Paul's achieved a lot without boxing skills, as you've said, um, but he also knows that he's quite calculated in what he's doing. I mean, yeah. you and I both know Ben Askren great in in MMA, but in boxing he was never going to be any use to anybody. Right, you know? and like Tyron Woodley's calling him out he's not even sniffed at tyron woodley there's no. no even not even a mention he's out of contract he's around the same weight and he's a deadly puncher there's no way that jake paul will take that fight but he'll no. pick on cody garbrandt who's you know like like five seven and <laughs> 135 yeah. pounds yeah it's the whole thing's a circus but yeah. at the same time it's not only has it turned a mirror on us as a society and what we have an appetite for it's also turned a mirror on how much money can be made um and, and where that money's going, you know, the fact that, you know, Ben Askren went over there and probably made more than all of his UFC fights put together and maybe all of his all of his one championship fights as yeah. well. I mean, I, I don't know what the pay what the pay there was, but you've got to imagine he made a lot of money. I think he made like two like, million. I heard. I don't know. Maybe like one or two for sure. One. But I think maybe two something like that. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I, mean, I don't know, you know for sure. It's going to make a lot of people consider the free market. You know, it's going to make a lot of people consider fighting out their contracts and then taking some of these random celebrity matches. I mean, at the end of the day, we are prize fighters, yeah, and we should go where the prize is biggest. You know, that's that's the smart thing to do. Whether you consider the prize the biggest prize to be the UFC world title or the zeros on the end of your check, you know, it's it's one or the other. No, no, this is kind of an interesting one because. I mean, I know Dana, you know Dana. We both know Dana uh, pretty well. Um, you became close with him after our fight. I, I've been close with him kind of since the beginning. Um, but so, so we both know Dana. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk about the whole GSP thing because GSP got the fight with Oscar De La Hoya. You know, that's his dream fight to fight someone like Oscar De La Hoya, even at 48 years old, which is dangerous because, as we know, boxers are still damn good at 48 years old. You know, it's not like they're going to be that bad, really. Like, I mean, I know he's drinking and can't do a commentary without whatever the hell he was on but if he gets off all that shit he's gonna be good right i mean he's gonna be a he's, he's he would beat gsp in boxing in my opinion but uh dana put a big stop to that so now now you have a situation where you have a, a huge name in mma and gsp that is also you know obviously a lot of value to the ufc because he's one of the greatest he's one of the goats of the ufc uh one of them uh, wanting to fight and getting a fight with Oscar and then the UFC putting an end to it and not allowing it to happen instead of the fighters not allowing it to happen. Um, and then now Oscar coming at Dana, you know, der- you know, being derogatory and saying, I'll, I'll fight you at first and then I'll fight GSP. What's your take on that whole thing? And like, you know, I, I think people think that the UFC kind of has a structure that they have to uh, please the public and they have to do what the public wants versus they don't understand that the UFC is a business and a business like I have a business, I have 50 employees. I don't have to pay my employees to be famous. If my, if my employees get famous, I don't have to pay them more money. You know what I mean? Like it, it's my choice, especially as a private company. So it's like as a business, the UFC can do whatever they want. They don't have to do what, what, what everyone says, but everyone kind of thinks that they do. They think the UFC has to do what they want, to pay the fighters what they want. 
do what they want. And I think that's where they're saying like GSP's not being able to fight and getting his money and 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 the UFC is just doing it for no reason. I'm sure that there's reason. And if I know Dana well enough, I would say he would be compensating GSP if he canceled that fight. I don't know for sure, um, but I'm talking too much. What, what's your take on that? Um, well, I mean, if, if you consider the, the scenario where GSP came back to the UFC, he signed a new contract to fight Michael Bisping for the middleweight title. But in that contract, he also agreed to face Rob Whittaker if he won. Um, and that was, you know, that was where the UFC wanted to take that that direction. Because the, the problem with with GSP coming back and fighting for a belt immediately, if he wins the belt and then steps away, it doesn't matter who wins it next. It devalues the belt. Right. The same reason why they wanted someone like Oliveira or Chandler to pick up the belt first, because now Khabib stepped away. If Poirier, McGregor, or Gaethje had picked it up, having lost to him, the belt is immediately not not worth as much right. because the best in the world is now retired. So I understand it because GSP came in, picked the middleweight belt up and then then relinquished Left. it again. Yeah. So it just devalues the belt and, and leaves them without a champion. Um, but at the same time, the scenario in which he came into middleweight and the reason why he couldn't fight again was because of that, you know, ulcer, ulcerative colitis that he had, um, you know, it's like a serious medical condition. And oh, he's, wow. he, so he, he had, to, he had, he couldn't, he couldn't fight, he couldn't train, he could barely eat. Okay. Um. So I know, he, I know that he has to do a lot of fasting to kind of get over that and brought his weight right down. So, it, you know, strategically, it wouldn't have made sense to fight at middleweight. He would have been undersized. Um. And I think that was his decision. That not, not that, uh, not that he didn't want to fight Rob Whitaker. Just that he was now no longer a middleweight sized because he had to, he had to drop all that weight. Right. But he did contact them and say he wants to fight Khabib. And that was shut down because then that would have done the same thing to that belt. Cause right. you know, it, it's, you, you've got, to, I, I try and look at it from the promotional perspective at sometimes and their main important thing is to protect the value of the belt yes. above everything. And, and that was the, that was a problem that GSP put on their hands when Dana knew full well, that was what was going to happen. Um, so I think there's a little bit of, of annoyance there with GSP. Obviously, Dana doesn't like De La Hoya. That's the big one, too. Um, you know, that, that's, <laughs> that's going to be... And the other thing as well is the, the reason he let McGregor fight Mayweather is because he got a cut of it. Yeah. It's the same... Re you know, if... <laughs> and the only reason he wouldn't allow GSP to fight De La Hoya, even if he got a cut of it, is because he sees Triller as a as competition to pay-per-view buys, yeah. which is what it is. You know, it is legit competition, unfortunately, for, for all of us legitimate martial artists out here. Um, but it does upset the apple cart a little bit. And I think he recognizes that. He's not going to do anything to, uh, to to promote it in any way. Yeah. And you're talking about a guy who's not fighting. So, again, the leverage is gone. I mean, even though he's a GOAT and even though he's one of the best of all time, he's not fighting. So he doesn't have value to Dana to sit there and say – okay, you know, I'll let you have this fight, but then you can come and have this fight or I need you in the future for this. He, he's, you know, it's either nothing or potentially have your, your goat get beat up in boxing and, and, and another organization take a step above and have a, a notch over the UFC. So I kind of see it in that regard. You know, it's a big risk for, for Dana to take and, and he has the power to say no and, and that's what he's doing, you know. And so unfortunately it just it just it just works out that way um and then and then with with john jones not fighting just just since we're on this kind of thing with the ufc with john jones not fighting what's your take on that because uh, you know like john jones is saying that he wants to get his worth and i understand every fighter wants to make money we've all wanted to make everybody wants to make more money i mean there's nobody that doesn't um and everybody feels that they're worth more than they are or or worth or you know I'm sure probably more than they are who, who, who undervalues herself. Um, but you're worth kind of what people, uh, 
puts you at. Like in business, your 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 worth is your valuation. So so if you're a startup company, a tech company, if someone will pay a billion dollars for you, your valuation is a billion dollars. That's what you're worth. If they'll pay five hundred million, then you're worth five hundred million. So you're worth what people will pay for you, or what your draw is, or what your value is to the company. Um, to be the goat, one of the goats next to Khabib, I'm always going to say Khabib's ahead. Um, but to be one of the goats, uh, I say number two in, in the world, in my opinion. Um, you know, he hasn't been on a top ten, top twenty pay per view list uh, ever. I mean, he's not even in top twenty, I think, on any of his pay per views. So he doesn't have the drawing power. And when he comes out and says he's not going to fight Stipe because he wants to fight a draw, and then he'll defend the belt against Stipe, but he's not going to fight him right now because he wants that big draw, which is in Ganu. Um, he should be the draw, I think, at this point. And, and I think, in my opinion, he should play ball a little more than he is. That's just my opinion. And, and, and fight and then get the leverage. If he was to fight you know, for whatever money that they paid him and beat Ngannou, which he sh- thinks he can do and should do uh, in his mind, now he has leverage if he has that belt. You know, If he has that, that heavyweight belt and, and he's, he's a draw and it was a big pay-per-view and stuff. So, so what is your take on fighters sitting out and, and becoming as big as someone like John Jones, and then and then just deciding that they are worth this crazy amount of money based on a structure of, of like boxing or or some other organization that's that's not even near the same structure as the UFC, you know, and and it's more of a single like Mayweather, for instance, it's a single, you know, Mayweather is a Mayweather show, you know, it's not about six hundred fighters getting paid and being able to survive, you know, so it's a different it's a different structure. So what's your take on that with guys that, that get so big and so famous and then just all of a sudden want this huge valuation and sit out and then cause all this drama? Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's a shame when business gets in the way of, of good fights. That, that's, that's first agreed. and foremost. That's what I want to say. And it, it was always the problem with boxing, you know, fighters being in different organizations and different organizations wanting, you know, a certain chunk of the purse and it just not never come into terms. And I mean, how long did it take us to get to Mayweather and Pacquiao? Yeah, that was five years too late. Like the problem, the problem is like, how much does John Jones value what he could make in these fights between the time, you know, or or does he want to just sit out and wait and see if, you know, roll the dice? I mean, he's not, he's not going to get any better sitting out. That's for sure. That's my point. At the same time, we've got the comparison of what someone like Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury would make over in boxing. And I'm sure he feels like, you know, comparable money is being made. This is the other thing is what I never had a smart businessman around me when I was signing my UFC contracts and stuff, not until the very end. And, um, a lot of people now have got a good idea of what's being made on these events. You know, what, what pay-per-view value is, what's coming in from the various different broadcasters around the world and, you know, what a John Jones event is worth to the UFC. And I think that's a part of where the, the problems come from negotiating because, I mean, what the, the comparison with the NFL is it's about 56% of revenue goes to the players. And I think in the UFC, it's about 12%. And, and you've got to think a big portion of that 12% is going to go to the Conor McGregor's and the John Jones already. So, that you know, the, the, the lion's share of the money that's being made is still not trickling down to the fighters. And Conor McGregor was one of the guys that kind of upset that and was able to get more. And I think I think the UFC are cautious about giving people too much power now. You know, I, I think they see John Jones as someone that could potentially be very powerful. And if they give John Jones what he asks for, they've set a precedent for everybody else to be digging their heels in and asking for more money. You know, right. sometimes they have to sacrifice one John Jones to, you know, keep keep control of the next three Conor McGregor's that come through, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's, 
it's so weird just for me because I'm I'm torn between because I'm I'm so in business now and I deal with so much business and it's I mean you think the UFC is tough these guys that complain about the UFC and and money and and all this type of stuff like when you get into big business or or any kind of business where where there's a lot on the line it's cutthroat man it's sh- it's 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 tougher than anything I've ever done in my life and and like it's yeah. tough and when you sign a contract you might as well assume that contract is ironclad until your dying day you're never you're never going to get a better contract just cuz you want it better or because you know or to mm-hmm. benefit you unless you give something some value back so when you sign something you 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 assume you're going to finish that contract and you better be you know valuable at the end of that contract to get another one or to re, you know re up what whatever it is that you signed um, so I'm kind of tossed yeah. in between those two things. Um, but we see a lot of guys. But then ju- ju- just to counter that, sorry to cut you off, but like say, you know, you're, you're in the business of gyms in Thailand, which is, you know, th- it's big business. There's a lot of gyms there. You know, you've got one of the biggest and best gyms around, but there's still other good gyms within the area that you know are, you know, if you close down for a couple of months, you're going to lose members, right? right? You know that. Right. The, the problem, the problem, and this is part of the class action lawsuit that's going on with the UFC, which I, I don't know whether you're following it or not, but you, you're definitely a part of it unless you've consciously opted out. Um, what, what they're bringing to the table is the fact that there, there aren't viable options outside the UFC. Like if John Jones decided he wanted to wait out his contract and go somewhere else, the, the market value is so much depreciated because Pride's gone, Strikeforce's gone, Elite XC's gone. WEC's gone. All of these were bought out and closed down to basically kind of, you know, control the market, as it were. That's what the class action lawsuit's about. So, you know, Tyson Fury can demand X amount of money because he's got options elsewhere and someone else will pay him more. You know, if there was one team in premiership football and it was Manchester United, you've not got any options, have you? You know, can't go and play for elsewhere. And that's that's a part of this. This as well is that money is being made. And it's not making it down to anybody aside from the big part of the top. <laughs> and I don't want to come across like I, I disagree with John Jones wanting more money. And I, and I don't want it to come across as I don't think John Jones may deserve to make more money is what, what he's done. And, and all of us and, and all fighters. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is it the right move? Because like, here's the thing. When you look at the history of, of guys that's went against the UFC and guys that have stood up against the UFC with leverage uh, – oftentimes and then sometimes with not without leverage but they were big names it just seems like it's never worked and so i feel like in my opinion it's not about i don't think john jones deserves the money he should just shut up and fight and take whatever he can i'm not i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying if he wants to fight and continue a career and have a few big paydays where he can still be the guy that he was before or close to it and fight good and have a good legacy and have a have these fights he's going to have to do it because we see dana's attitude right now and dana just doesn't care and that's a true, honest opinion. He really doesn't care, I think. And like, so John Jones, I just don't think is making the right decision for himself if he wants to continue fighting and make those paydays. Because I don't think if he waits a year from now, he's definitely going to get that $10 million or whatever it is that he wants. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's either now's his best chance to get the most amount. If he can't get what he wants, whatever he can get, I still think is going to be the most amount versus waiting a year. And so I just think mm-hmm. that, that, that maybe he's making a wrong decision in waiting and just lifting weights for a year isn't going to make him a better fighter, especially at his age, because he's depreciating by the day. And we've seen some of his fights as of late. They weren't the fights of before. You know, They weren't the fights mm-hmm. of the old days. He's still good and he's still winning the fights. But I think he needs to get in there, in my opinion. 
Yeah. I think no, I think I, I think he made a huge that. mistake. No, Long story short, so I don't to cut you off, but I think he made a huge mistake in not fighting Ganu for any amount of money. You know what I'm saying? Like as long as it made any kind of just rational sense, I think he made a huge mistake in not taking that fight because that's a huge fight, and I think John Jones could beat Ngannou. I think he does have the the tools and the strategy and the skill and the, and the talent to beat someone like Ngannou. Though though he is a power puncher and he's very strong, we do know his weaknesses. It's just hard to get him drawn out to those weaknesses in those later rounds because you have to dodge a lot of heavy heat. Um, but I think John Jones could have done it, and that could have that could have been a, a jackpot for him if he had taken this fight for maybe half of what he thought he was worth but won the fight and then got another big fight after that and then maybe had a few more good fights in that in the, this year that he's going to be sitting out now. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's part of the nature of being a prize fighter, isn't it? You do have to back yourself. You know, you, you do have to say, yeah, I can do that. And I mean, you know, w- w- it was a, it was a lot less about money back in our day. And, and I think that that's, that's something that's changed quite significantly in the yeah. last few years. I mean, you know, we weren't getting people waiting out for, you know, for more money back no. in our day. If, <laughs> no. if you can get on a UFC card, you're on it, and you were signing whatever contract was in front of you. I remember when the bonuses yeah. were bigger than our actual paychecks. <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we were like, <laughs> yeah, the, the the bonuses still still were still are at some. You know, to a lot of people, yeah, of course. Lower down the card, fighting for ten and ten, it's crazy. It's uh, but you know. I, I agree, but the, I think the other way to look at it is the smart thing for John Jones to do would have been to stay at light heavyweight and fight out his contract yeah. and then go somewhere else. Sure. You know, but the UFC didn't want him to do that because he'd already shut that division down. You know, they kind of wanted it to wanted to reinvigorate it. They needed a, a new challenge for Engano up at heavyweight. Um, I, I, you know, and I also think John Jones is maybe in a realistic state in his life where he's looking at Engano and going, he is a serious problem. And if, if he if he knocks me out with one punch, not only do I have to worry about my health, but my my value goes down. Right now, I have to go back to light heavyweight, you know. So it it might just be a I'm, I want to get paid now in case this does go south. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we don't we don't know how he feels about the rest of his future and how much longer he wants to continue fighting. Yeah, true. Um, but he, he's probably blown up to a point now where he couldn't make 205 again without really really you know struggling. So, you know, that's kind of partly where he's backed into a corner. He should have maybe just not posted any photographs of him looking like a heavyweight yeah. just to keep the option open, you know. Yeah, he did promote it a lot. Just as a fan, I mean, uh, from the sidelines, would you have been excited about that fight, though? I mean, would you have been pumped to see him fight Ngannou? I think it's a very interesting fight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really interesting fight because the thing with John Jones, you know, as good as he is technically, you know, technically he's great, creative, you know, creativity is amazing. Um, he's, he's always well conditioned. The other thing that stands out, though, is he has physical attributes. Mm-hmm. Like if if John Jones and DC were built the same, would John Jones have beat him the way he did? Maybe not. You know, maybe DC only struggled with Jones because of the 84 inch reach and the six foot four height. And, you know, like that they are attributes that have always reigned supreme in the light heavyweight division yeah. and Ngannou reigns supreme in the heavyweight division because of punching power right. but he, he also he's pretty much the same size as John Jones like you know 6'3 six, 6'4 six, you know his arms aren't much shorter right. I, I think it, I think it takes away a lot of John Jones's natural physical attributes so we can really see what his skills look like What's up, everybody? I am here in Thailand. This is the first time I've ever been here. Been dying to come here for years. Mike Swick, he's one of the big reasons he's been trying to pull me down here. What he built down here, AKA Thailand, is incredible. There's people here from all over the world. 
can train mixed martial arts here, jujitsu. They have weightlifting, they have cardio, and obviously they have Muay Thai, boxing, everything. you guys I know everybody wants to go to Thailand because Thailand's so cool but you can't come to Thailand without coming to aka Thailand come on Another big uh, news headline was uh, it was actually imp quite impressive because this is a guy that's done a lot of what he said he's going to do, and it, you, you got to hand it to him. Whether you like the guy or don't like the guy, and, and, and antics inside, outside the, the octagon, but Conor McGregor is the number one paid athlete of the year, and what makes it more important uh, to me is the fact that he said he was going to do that, and, and they showed you that video of him and Ronaldo when they first met, and I think Conor was like 35 on the list at the time. Ronaldo was number one as usual. Um, and, and they were talking and Connor was like, yeah, man, I'm getting there. I'll be there one day. I'm going to get to the top. And then like he did it. And, and that, that just, that's the same as a lot of things he's done since he got in the UFC in his first couple of fights and spent all of his money on suits, you know, like in between his fights. I mean, this is a guy who really has done almost everything that he set out to do in, in his career. And here he is now is the highest paid because of obviously this proper 12, but he's the highest paid, uh, athlete on the planet for this last 12 months. It's pretty incredible, huh? It, it, it is. But at the same time, yeah, I, th I think it, it kind of almost devalues his business acumen. I got into a conversation about this on Twitter with a few people because the the, the headline is that he's the highest paid athlete, but he's, he's the highest earning athlete because of the proper 12. Like he's, he's not he's not paid higher than the rest of the guys, you know, around him. He's the highest earning because of his business decisions. And this is something else that a lot of fighters can learn from. You've got to be promotable inside there. You've got to be marketable, but you've also got to know the game and know the business. And Connor's been very smart in all of the other things he's done, the the extracurricular activities of the whiskey business. And like, imagine if John Jones had started a you know a, a beer company or a vodka company or something, he might be in a similar situation. Especially Jones, an alcohol company. That would have been <laughs> exactly. he could have really promoted that <laughs> early <laughs> in his right career. Down the bad boy room. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like th these these are opportunities are available for anybody that's good at marketing themselves within the sport. They've just got to they've kind of got to back themselves. Yeah. And, and you always knew that Conor McGregor was a good businessman by how interested Lorenzo was around him. Yeah. You know, true. obviously, Lorenzo is not around the UFC anymore, but he was fascinated by McGregor. Yeah. And that must be because of the conversations that they had in private one on one. Yeah. You know, there were always photos of him drinking whiskey with loads of cash. I bet McGregor was betting backing himself constantly in those yeah. in those early fights and and Lorenzo's like I like this kid he's got balls yeah. and I I think that was a big part of his spark as well you know some people are just unique like that but highest highest earning is a lot more down to his business than uh, highest paid down to his his fighting ability I mean he's still in a lot anomaly in the UFC at 22 million you know in 12 months that's that's crazy that's what John Jones is wanting, you know? Yeah. And the, and the other thing, too, is that this is a one-time thing, so a lot of people don't realize that. It's not like he's going to beat Ronaldo and Messi and those guys next year. I mean, this isn't a consistent thing. Those guys make consistent money uh, in the in the $100 million range, you know, every single year, whereas this was a one-time sell of his company, and he doesn't have another company that big. He has the McGregor Fast and stuff like that. So this was a one-time thing, I think, where he's going to be in the number one spot or even close to it. 
Um, so it's not like he's doing this all the time, but but it is interesting and, and cool to just kind of see an MMA fighter just just for the the sake of us being MMA fighters coming from like fighting on Indian casinos with like tap out selling shirts out of their their trunk of their car back when I was coming out, you know, or coming up back in you know the the early two thousands. Um, late 99s actually uh, 98 99 when I started uh, fighting amateur um, so it's, it's it's a big progression you know to, to see him on the cover of Forbes as the highest paid a- athlete you know so um, I just thought yeah. that was pretty cool and uh, yeah hats off to him for that for sure it, it, oh, it shines a light on MMA and that's good for everybody you know it, every time he fights it you know more than doubles the pay-per-view buys and they're not only watching McGregor fight, even if they're just casually watching the undercard as it's happening or the, the rest of the main card, they might see, so, oh, they'll remember Sean O'Malley because he's got rainbow hair or something. They'll Something will stick in their mind and they might be more invested than they were before McGregor. So he's, he's done a lot of favors for everybody. And, you know, I mean, he's added so many terms and phrases to, to the sport of MMA. I mean, 50 G's, baby. And, you know, who the F is that guy? You know, yeah. they're, they're like they're embedded in MMA culture now and yeah. their McGregor lines, you know, along with the, the, the Billy Strutt and a lot of other things. He's changed the culture of MMA for the better, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he did it without the he did it by fighting, you know, and that's cool, too. Like you got the Jake Paul and the Logan Paul. I mean, he has more followers than those guys. I mean, he's bigger. He's an A-list. He's a, liter- a legit A-list celebrity in the world. And he did it through fighting. So that's that's cool as well. Um but yeah, anyway, yeah, we, we've been on Connor for a while. <laughs> this is a rare, rare time that I've been on, uh, positive about Connor for so long. I mean, I like the guy and I respect him and everything, but obviously he's he's done some other things. But um, the the other thing is um, Diego. Uh, you know, he was on my podcast uh, a while back, and and Fabia. I don't know if you saw, but uh, we made a clip. But but Fabia jumped in, and and literally, it was a test of my patience as a podcast host. But um, they they were on the podcast together, and then Fabia jumped in about midway through. And I, I literally didn't say a word for 52 minutes. It was just Fabia for 52 minutes, the last 52 minutes. And we just clipped that, that clip out and put on the clip site. But um, what's your take on that? Like, you know, he was, Diego was defending him up until, uh, you know, I guess a week ago until they split. But what, what's your take on that whole thing with like, with, with these guys that are attaching themselves to fighters? And I mean, I know Diego from, from season one of the Ultimate Fighters. So I mean, I was his roommate, you know what I mean? And, and, and Diego's Diego, but still... Diego being Diego, you know, he was controlled by this guy, honestly, you know, to an extent of not being Diego anymore. You know, he was posting yeah. stuff about, you know, Dana and Matt Sarah and, and, and Joe Rogan doing steroids and testosterone, uh, you know, you know, therapy and, and growth hormone, which is completely illegal in America to go do it at that age, you know, and then Cerrone being racist and just doing all these things that Diego would never wasted the time doing. And it's just, uh, you know, a lot of people have different opinions on that. So I was just going to get your opinion on, on that situation and, and any that you may know that's like it with guys attaching themselves to fighters like that. And then what you think about Diego making that decision to step away. And then uh, just to, before I get your opinion on that, um, Diego reached out to me because I, I, he wanted to come back on the podcast and have another talk with him and Fabia. And I wouldn't do it because I didn't want to get on the controversial side. But I did send him a message and, and – I like to say I hope it helped because I, I just explained to him that I think that the emphasis needs to be on him and his career and being positive. And, and he's being known now as being negative and for this instead of for all these crazy wars that he's had. And then on top of that, 
he's got to have a career after this and no one's going to touch him if he does what he's doing. Like when you're, when you, when you have someone that works for a company or was friends with somebody and then that relationship ended and then they just trash that friend and said all the personal details they shouldn't have, or trash that company and said all the personal things they shouldn't have. The other people that are, that are going to meet you in the future, be it another company like to sign you for a promotion or another friend, they're going to be scared, right? Because they don't want to become that next UFC or that next you know person that, that you trash. So I just kind of relayed that to him and just said, look, man, do, do, what's, do what's best for you and think about yourself and think about what you want to be remembered for. Because right now, the, the entire sport is only thinking about this. And this is what is going to end with you, as we've seen with a lot of other people who deserve a lot more accolades for their octagon performances, but they ended on bad bad terms, be it steroids or be it controversies with the UFC or controversies with these people, and then they lost all their legacy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a sad scenario because, I mean, obviously, you know, you know him better than me, but my perception of him was from watching The Ultimate Fighter. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we all knew he was a bit crazy, but we're, we're all martial artists. We're all a little bit crazy, and some are a bit more crazy than others. And, you know, you take a few more punches, just punches to the head over the years and it just it just exasperates the whole circumstance. Right. I, you know, and just on the side note, I think we need to be aware that that's happening right now. You know, we are coming to a stage where we're seeing, you know, career long MMA fighters now retire and we're seeing some damage. You know, obviously, poor old Spencer Fisher is not doing well. Yeah. You know, Diego, I would imagine he's a victim of some of those wars as well. You know, like Tony Ferguson is another one we've got to keep an eye on. You know, he he could go south very quickly because a lot of these guys, they've got this, this, they live in this world that's not quite, quite a reality. Um, And Diego was all, I always felt like he was quite easily influenced, you know, by the people around him. And when he had good influences, positive influences, like when he was at Greg Jackson's, I think that worked out really well. But this, this circumstance with Fabia seems like a codependent relationship to me, but where, Fabia's steering it and Diego doesn't exactly know what's going on. Um, I mean, you know, we've been watching some of the stuff that they've been doing in training. It's like 36 chambers of the Shaolin. It's like what they were doing in the 1700s. punching him in the face and then kicking him, like while he was hanging upside down. Like, I mean, I hate talking shit about people, man. I hate getting controversial and I'm not trying to like have Fabia hate me or whatever, but it's like, and, and, and I'm sure there's good qualities about him too. And he was defending his guy and standing up and being, you know, doing whatever he believes to be the right thing, even though we didn't believe it was the right thing. But like you said, man, that whole thing with like, when I saw the video of him punching Diego in the face, that was when I sent the message because Diego sent me a message and he was, Diego was mad at me because I didn't, uh, support Diego and and have him on the show and and repost a lot of this because he was tagging me and all this stuff. So he all these posts that him and Fabia was like making the derogatory about the, all the HGH and all the you know these negative things towards you Cerrone and stuff. They were they were putting my tag on there because he was on my podcast and he was trying to get my attention. But to the world, they don't know my involvement. Do do I agree with them? Do I disagree with them? So I was like, you know, he he was kind of mad at me for not getting involved. Um, but then yeah. when I when I saw that video of him, like what you were just saying, where he was upside down and 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 Fabio was saying like you need to you know how many fighters are used to getting punched and they need to understand that you you go out there and you fight, you need to learn how to take punches and you need to learn how to take strikes and so I strike him like 25 minutes a day or whatever it was that he said and then he's sitting there punching him and kicking him in the head and the body. And that was too much, man. I had to like say something at that point. I'm like, no, you don't, man. Like you don't <laughs> under under any terms of logic, you don't have to get punched in the face 25 minutes a day to be a fighter. No. And and then the influence that that's going to have on other generations of fighters that are coming up. 
I mean, there are a lot of people that still look up to Diego. They still love him. For sure. And they will, they'll follow him to the end of the earth. And, you know, like, like you see, like Tony Ferguson was wrestling a hot tub up against the fence in his gym the other day. And I don't know. I, I'm like, sorry. What'd you say? I missed that, it. Tony he, was, he was wrestling a hot tub up against the fence in his gym. Tony a hot Ferguson tub? Was. And it, yeah, it's like some kind of float tank thing. And oh, shit. I, I mean, I don't know whether it was, he was trying to make a point of it promotionally, but there's a lot of stuff that he does, which is kind of crazy yeah. and a bit, a bit, a bit, you know, wild, but he's, he's, he's influencing younger generations of fighters, you know, and, and I do, I feel for Diego. I do, because I also felt like he was heavily influenced back in the day by the, the way his fights went, you know, back in the ultimate fighter, you know, he was a great grappler, right? He is a great grappler. You know, he's a, he's a very good martial artist. Yeah, he was very good. But then, you know, when, when he was having fights that started to get a bit wild and a bit bloody and a bit chaotic, the reaction that he got to the fans, it, it kind of fed a part of him that made him act like that more. Yeah. <laughs> like in, instead of going in there and being a good grappler and working your submissions and your ground mm. and pound, and then if you need to dig deep, and you know, be all heart and blood and guts. Then save that for the third round. If he did that, then that would have been great. But he started the first round yeah. with blood and guts sometimes, yeah, and that was something else that you know, you know, was was unfortunate because I think it it discredited him as a martial artist. Yeah, you know, he is a lot better, and we've seen glimpses of that. Like when he fought Craig White, when he fought Mickey Gall, he was all over those guys. Um, and, and you know, in in Fabia, I don't know Fabia. In Fabia's defense. I don't know what his intentions were, whether it was about promoting himself, because, I mean, that that is kind of the way it comes off. But he must have done a lot of po lot positive for Diego in order to get Diego's trust. So, you know, he might have just been there for Diego when nobody else was. Uh, and that, that could have been enough at the time for Diego to be like, I'm all in, dude, because nobody else is here for me. Right. Yeah. It, it's just it might be just a really sad story, um, and, but it's very much codependent, I think. Well, at least I mean I think he's made the right decision, and I think he's uh, I think he's going to get a lot of support because it, the one thing is it, it made big news, and so I think there's a lot of people lined up now to help Diego and, and kind of guide him in, in the direction that he needs to be going in. So, um, and then getting back to boxing since you're boxing, and I'd love to see you get a boxing fight, man. And here's the thing: so I'm against Jake Paul being so childish and, and acting the way he is towards MMA fighters because I just hate that because we're fucking he's not a lion like we are you know what i'm saying he maybe he can be maybe he has a you know he will be one day but right now he's not and he's and he's poking and it just upsets sets the shit out of me but i am intrigued with it and i do get his game and i respect his game and i do still will always tune into his fights and i do like the mix so it's like it's not like i don't like the mix i don't like the celebrity fights i don't like the whole this whole thing he's just very immature to me and 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 poking <laughs> To, to, to my guys you know what I'm saying like uh, us and, and we're real fighters and like if that happened in Thailand like I said when he him and uh, Jay Love or whatever that hell that boxer was that didn't even have a great career and and was talking shit to Tyron Woodley who's a hall of famer and like he was gonna just yeah. like he was nothing if that shit happened in Thailand bro that guy would have been in the hospital in about 30 seconds you know what I mean he's lucky he was in America talking to Tyron like that and not talking to one of these Muay Thai guys here or talking to one of you know a fighter here in Thailand where it's not the same as in America where you're protected like in high school with all your buddies behind you and you can you can say shit to people's face and get away with it because you're gonna get sued and and all this kind of shit but like that kind of stuff bothers me but I do I do like the mix actually um but I want to get your opinion just real quick um uh it's not even May but Logan versus Mayweather what is your take on that? Just because I agree with like competitive matches or some, some interest. I would love to see Jake Paul fight Mayweather. Like I would love to see that fight and for many reasons, but 
Logan Paul, I just, to me, that is just such a crazy fight that I can't even believe is happening. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mayweather's cashing in here. I mean, you, you remember when he was on Rising a little while ago fighting uh, Tenshin Nasukawa, you know, and that and that was weird because it was almost like he thought he was there for an exhibition match and Tenshin came after him trying to knock him out. And then yeah. Mayweather was like, oh, all right, and we'll, then we'll fight then. That's fine. Yeah. You know, I... I <laughs> It might be one of those kind of scenarios in this one where Logan might be coming out to, you know, oh, no, we're just an exhibition and we'll we'll make a load of cash. Yeah. And then he might try and get a bit excited and he might get schooled by Mayweather. Yeah. He's just cashing in. I will say one thing, though. Mayweather looks really old. He looked he like yeah, he did. really quickly. He did. But the thing is with Logan, it's like he hasn't beat a boxer yet. You know what I mean? Like he's 0-2. I just don't think he has the accolades. I think Jake Paul does. Not really, but but at least he's sellable and he has won three fights by knockout. And he and he and he you know, he I would rather see him get schooled by Mayweather than Logan. I do like Logan more as a person, uh, the way he acts and carries himself. Um, so I just I don't know. I just want to get your opinion on the, the, the Mayweather Logan fight. I I don't know. I just think it's kind of uh, maybe See, maybe Mayweather prefers guys that are more predictable, and maybe Jake's a little bit too unpredictable for Mayweather to fight. Yeah, he's like, no, nah, I'll fight Logan. He's a bit more mature and a bit more controllable. You know, see, the thing is, Mayweather. There are two versions of him: Pretty Boy and Money. If you want fun fights and risk taking and wars and and you know really fun, really exciting, explosive boxing matches, go and watch Pretty Pretty Boy Floyd Mayweather. There was a turning point in his career where all of a sudden he's like, oh, hang on a minute. You're making so much money off me. I'm going to flip the script on this one. And that's what he's done. And since then, everything's revolved around making as much money as he can. I think he, I think more than anything, it was embarrassment because he felt like he'd been taken advantage of. Yeah. So now his whole game is he's using boxing to take advantage of everybody else. And even Jake stole that show, t taking his hat. And, yeah. and when he took his yeah. hat, he looked horrible. When you're worth that much money, like you should be able to take anything off and still look amazing. But he looked <laughs> horrible, man. When that hat came off, it was, it was like he went from like I don't know, 44 or five, or however old he is, to like 55 in a matter of like one second when that hat came off. It was crazy, man. man. Like an extra in Shawshank Redemption. I don't know what happened. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but then, like, getting back real fast because I got you, man, and I hate letting you go, man, because I love having podcasts with you and you're so analytical. Um, speaking of, uh, I got to give a lot of respect to Conor McGregor because Conor McGregor, not only is he on the Forbes list, not only is he one of the richest guys in the world, he really loves to fight. Okay, there's no doubt about it. He doesn't have to fucking fight. And he's fighting. Mm -hmm. He's passed up two opportunities with Jake Paul. Jake Paul was going after him for the first fight. Now, maybe Dana wouldn't have allowed it, whatever the case, but maybe Dana would have, you know what I mean? Like under the right circumstances, because Jake Paul has made it clear that he only signs one fight deals and he wasn't signed to a multi-fight deal with Triller. So uh, he could have definitely taken the second fight with Jake, especially after Jake just won against Ben Askren. You know, Connor, Connor made the decision. I think it was like days they announced that fight with Poirier too before the fight with Ben Askren, which Connor could have easily waited for that fight, let Jake beat Ben Askren, jumped in after that, and and made that probably, you know, I think he had a guaranteed 50 million for that fight, and he still chose to fight Poirier, which I want to give him all the credit in the world for, for fighting a legitimate fight instead of going and fighting uh, Jake Paul just for the money. Um, but but the main reason I'm saying this is because I want to get your breakdown, because yeah, you're the, the best at breakdowns, and I just love listening to your breakdowns. What's your breakdown of Poirier versus Connor now that now that he just got beat and and he seems like he's he's motivated and and he really does want to beat Poirier this time do you see anything changing because that fast and 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 this quick since that last fight do you think that he has a chance to beat Poirier or do you think we're just going to see the same thing again 
No, absolutely, he's got a chance to beat Poirier. I think it is I mean, too. I, I would, I would pick him to beat. If he'd have beat Poirier the second time, I'd pick Poirier to win the third time because McGregor wouldn't be as interested. Mm. But because he's coming off a loss, I think he's more motivated and he's more likely to win the next one around. I think he took Poirier a little lightly because he stopped him so early the first time around. And I don't think he credited Poirier with being a different animal or or at least being as, you know, I mean, obviously he's got, you know, great coaches in his corner like some Mike Brown. Um I don't think he credited Poirier with his adaptability to be able to find a way to beat McGregor. So he just went back to the, I'll just counterpunch with my left. I'll come over his, uh, his, you know, his jab and, and catch him with my left. Because yeah. that seemed to be the only in the main game plan, which is what left his lead leg vulnerable. And then you go back to the first fight and the first, you know, 30 seconds or so, he's doing the, the long karate stance. You know, he's got a hot side kick and a spinning kick. I think he goes back to that version. I, yeah. I think we see him lighter on his feet. We see him much, much more of a mixed martial artist instead of a counter puncher. And, and I think he, I think he's going to be able to cut the octagon down against Poirier with that hop side kick. You know, slide it into his left hand. There are a lot of techniques that he just neglected. And what was what was weird is after their first, after their second fight, it was almost like people were like, "Well, well, that's who McGregor is now." Right. It's like he, he doesn't know the kicks anymore. You know, he like <laughs> like he like somehow he'd forgotten all of that. Right. It's like it's still there. Yeah. He just chose not to use it. Yeah. Like he chose to be a heavy front foot counter puncher because he expected to stop him in the first minute. And and I, and I think he just he just underestimated Poirier. And I think this time around he'll be on his game. He'll be he'll be fighting at range. He'll use his kicking. But I also think we'll see more grappling out of McGregor. And that's always something that's been underestimated. Yeah. You, you even go back and watch what he did to Max Holloway with a knee injury. Took him down three times, three different takedowns. He's got very good grappling skills. And I think we might see we might see the two ends of his game this time instead of the, just, just the boxing in the middle. So overall, you think that you're, you're giving the edge to Connor in this, this next one? Yeah, I, I think so. Because, you know... I, I think Poirier has been very much the same fighter all the way through his career. He's refined his game and he's become more effective with it. He's better at applying it instead of just being, you know, as aggressive as he, I mean, was it Grisby fought his last fight in WEC, but it was like 60 seconds and it was just one long punching combination. Like nothing else happened aside from Poirier just wading forward with hooks. Like we still see that guy, but we just see it in bursts now. Like we see it in the fourth round against Gaethje and, you know what I mean? It's like like he, he applies it when he needs to. It's it's far more intelligent, but I feel like there's more depth to McGregor's game and he's able to draw on more skills. Um, it's just a case of applying them on the night, and that's where Poirier had him beat. Um, I, I think it's a very competitive third fight. I, I'm, I'm very interested to see it, and I think it's... I'm leaning towards McGregor slightly, but that's not in any way to devalue Poirier and Absolutely. his chances because, you know, he is an excellent fighter. There's no doubt. Yeah, great breakdown, and, and and I think that also we can. I, I feel very confident in saying that I think Connor getting knocked out is going to have no no negative effects. I just don't think he's the type of guy, you know. Whether it was an issue with with Cody or not in this fight, and and what had happened in the past for him, I don't see Connor ever being that type of guy that that, that can get knocked out and it affect him. He he's a new he he comes he shows up to fight every single time. Uh, as an aggressive killer, you know, that goes after his opponent every single time, whether yeah. he loses, whether he doesn't, whether you know, he gets knocked out. So I think that won't be an issue. I don't think we're going to see a different intimidated uh, Connor or anything like that. No, not, not at all. And this, see, this is where the, the business mindset of Conor McGregor comes in because he doesn't look at MMA like it's everything. It's a sport and he knows it's a sport. It's a game to be played. 
you know, and then like then, you know, on the flip side, you've got Cody Garbrandt when he's going in there against TJ Dillashaw. This yeah. is life and death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even even when McGregor fought fought uh, Khabib, people thought there was genuine animosity on on McGregor's side. Just there absolutely wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Like he's playing a game. Yeah. He, he knows what he's doing in there. So he's able to compartmentalize MMA, especially now he's got a whole load of cash he can fall asleep on at night under his mattress. Yeah. It's you know <laughs> much easier to separate, but it's a game to be played. And you know a knockout is one of the outcomes of playing that game. You know it, it happens. We, we've all been caught. It's just one of those things. And McGregor's because he's not so attached to it, it can it can separate it from his ego to an extent. And he can go, you know what? I'm playing this game. Sometimes you're going to lose. You've knocked enough people out. It's going to happen eventually. You know, and, and I think that that realistic, um, you know, self perspective is part of the reason why it won't really affect him. It will just it's what water off a duck's back, as we'd say. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, man. A hundred percent. And uh, yeah, I appreciate your time, man. And I, I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, your boy, Paul Felder, uh, just announced his retirement. Uh, you've done some commentary with him as well. And I saw you made a post on Instagram. Um, some some great fights. I mean, I mean, he he's beat uh, Oliveira, who's a champion now. You know, Barboza. I mean, he fought Berkman and beat Berkman, who I fought. You know, my career. Um, so he's had a great career, and and he seems to love doing what he's doing now with the commentary and and just hanging out with his family and stuff. So I just want to give you a chance to maybe say something about uh, about that and uh, your thoughts on on him retiring and and moving on. You know, I, I've had some of the best nights Octagon side have been sitting next to Felder. You know, I've always I always enjoyed working with John Gooden, but when they added Felder into the into the group, it was, you know, it just worked perfectly. He's got a very similar kind of humor to to John and I, um, which helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we we just spent a lot of time laughing and joking and, and enjoying ourselves. But at the same time, you know, he's got great knowledge, great experience, and. And then, you know, the challenge, obviously, from going sitting next to him, Octagon side, to then calling this fight against Dan Hooker, and that being one of the most tense 25-minute fights yeah. I've ever been been live for, that and, you know, maybe, maybe Bisping, Anderson, Silver. Um, it, it's, you know, you, 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 you know how it is when you train with people, when you when you share a space with them, you understand the depth of that person's soul. And, and you know, Paul Felder's got a, got a hell of a deep soul, and he's shown that so many times in the Octagon. And no matter what he does, he'll be great at it. You know, he'll be a great triathlete. He's a great analyst and commentator. Um, and, you know, it, it's, a, it's a shame as a fan that I won't get to see him fight again. Um, but for, for what he's already done and achieved, you know, we, we've got to appreciate him. He's got to be a Hall of Famer at some point, I would say, just for the just for the punctured lung. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and then because I didn't see exactly what his intentions were after after fighting. What, what do you what do you think his intentions are? Is he looking to be a commentator and, and, and go down that road? Or is that the main thing that he's looking to do? I think so. I think I think he studied. I think he he, uh, he studied theater. Mm. Um, so he's always he's always had a you know um, he's always been keen on being on TV. And, you know, being in front of a camera with a mic. Yeah. And he's he's a natural for it. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's, he is very good at it. Um, and you know, he enjoys it. He said, I think he said yesterday on the broadcast that it's something he'll do. You know, for as long as he's got a job, he'll he'll do it. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a bit of a demon inside him, and that'll work its way out somewhere. And I think he's found a home for that in triathlon. You know, he had a bike in his room in Fight Island, and every time I see a photo, it's a, a sweaty mess on the floor of his gym and some cycle shoes. So, um, I think I think he's found a home. I think he's found some peace, which is nice. Um, he deserves it. Awesome. 
Well, Dan, man, thank you so much for taking the time out, man. I, I love having you on my show. I love chatting it with you. And uh, as always, it's, it's, it's a fantastic pleasure hearing all these breakdowns and, and all your analytical uh, uh, pieces on, on these fights, man. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. You're awesome at what you do. And uh, thanks for being on the show. And hopefully you'll come back on again and we can do this uh, another time. Thanks, man. It's always a pleasure talking to you, man. It's, uh, we always have great conversations and you hit me up anytime. We, we can always have a conversation. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I hit you up like this, not like the way you hit me like when <laughs> last, <laughs> last time I was in England. No, I'm just kidding. Cool, man. Th thanks again, brother. I appreciate it. And uh, let's stay in touch. And again, man, if you ever come to Thailand, hit me up. You got to take a trip up here, man. I want to I show you the gym and show you the islands and show you Phuket. That sounds good, man. As soon as they let us back in, I'll be over there. One of my Raptors was on his way to Thailand, but he couldn't get in. So we're, we've delayed the trip, but we'll be over there very soon, my friend. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person again. All right, brother. Me too. Take care and I'll see you later. Catch you later, dude.